0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. In the summer of
1: 2016,
0: I was asked to do some interviews at Pickathon in Oregon. It was a delightful experience and I got to talk to so many terrific artists and bands. I can't wait for next summer. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. On today's show, we're featuring my pickathon interviews with Open Mike Eagle, Palehound, Cow Win, and La Luce. It's all coming up on the future of what. support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the Future of What. We're talking to Open Mike Eagle. So, The Future of What, which is my podcast and radio show, is about the music business. And so as such, one of the things I've been doing with artists a lot of times is just asking them to sort of give us the the very beginning of how you got into the music business, like mm. sort of that moment where you were like, I think this is a job.
2: Huh. See, it's interesting for me because, like, I had, like, two paths. I was very influenced by the L.A. underground scene, so it was very DIY, mm-hmm. like, from top to bottom, from building your own studio, recording yourself, booking your own shows, all of that, like, trying to put projects out on our own with the, with, the, with the small labels. So I I did, like, I used to go hang out at Project Blood Records in L.A. when they still had a record label, and... I used to treat it kind of like an internship, but I would just show up every day and see like what needed to be done or what, what they on. would let me do. Uh-huh. You know, so it was a lot of like cold calling record stores to see if they'll take some copies of whatever we just wow. put out. Like, and, and traveling around with rappers on tour and like doing their merch for them and stuff like that. But, he, like, but just like that, that was so big for me because I would go to these big shows, see these guys I know book this show themselves and it's packed. And I am the one uh, at the point of exchange between money and music, like yeah. literally selling my friends music and, and having people put money in my hand right. for it was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is this is amazing. I just love being around that. So I had a uh, I spent a lot of my career on that path. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, I guess I would say I was in the business at that point when I like booked my own tour, maybe. Uh-huh. OK. But uh, I don't like to think about those days. They're, they're <laughs> treacherous. <laughs> those those yep. were
0: the battle days.
3: Guys. Everybody's got
2: the
0: beginning stages oh. of bad. But what's interesting about that is that you came to it mm-hmm. at the very beginning, seeing it as business, right? which most young artists are just, you know, they're playing in their bedroom, they're playing right. with their friends, they're having such a great time, and they're like, I love this man, I want this to be my career. <laughs> and for some reason, and I think it has to do with American culture, we have this like very difficult time seeing from the beginning to the end point, like what's in the middle, we have no idea. Right. And I was like, liking it to the NBA. It's like, how is this? Per- how did this person get to the NBA? Right. You don't see the thousands of hours of practice. You don't see the sacrifices their families right. made. You don't see any of that stuff. You just see the final result. And so there's little kids all over the country going, "I'm going to do that." And how do you get there? We I mean, don't know.
2: that's 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 why the the whole the entire concept of an overnight success like it makes me laugh so hard. Right. Because like, it's, it's right. impossible. Like there's no <laughs> such thing. Just like the amount of forces that have to be lined up. Right. to make somebody instantly successful. There's no way that this person hasn't been putting time and energy into all sorts of facets of performing or music or business forever, you know? Like, right. And, but it's interesting in terms of the cultural value of that. It does seem like there is some value in presenting this narrative of exactly. I just made it out of nowhere. Exactly. You know? And that's kind of weird to me, too. Like I don't yeah. really know why that's something that, I don't know, Some people put forward.
0: I think it's part of American exceptionalism, though. I think mm. it's that whole thing of, you know, we're, we're committed to the idea of the individual and the true self. So it's like we are just, we'll do anything to reinforce that narrative, right? right. Like that you made it on your own. Right. You are so special. And I have a quick story about how I thought that when I was 9, 10, 11. Yeah. I think I was 10 years old. I grew up in New York City. My parents, my father was an actor. My mom was a casting director. Okay, right? wow. So I came from the, like, we didn't have money, but we had my dad sitting in the window waiting for his agent to call crying. That's what we had. Like, but my dad was a Broadway actor. He did it for 57 years, you know, so it was, it was a real deal. He wasn't right. doing something else. So anyway, I went out for Annie, and this was like in the you know, 80, 81, right? When Annie was the hugest thing with little girls. Yeah, 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 yeah. I sat in the audience for three hours with my babysitter, and when I got up on the stage, I just stood there, and they were like, what are you gonna do for us? And I was like, what do you mean? Because I thought they were gonna take one look at me and be like, you are it. <laughs> right. That is who we were looking right, for. Right. You know, and I'm like, and we all walked away. My babysitter was like, "What is wrong with you? (laughs) What did you do that for?" But it was because of like I just had this idea, you know. People, you're gonna walk down the street, and someone's gonna see you. How many stories are there like that?
2: Yeah, no. I had, I used to have, I call them game changer fantasies. Uh I had them. I had so many of them, and I had them at at every level. Like, oh, when I put this song up on my MySpace, it's gonna change everything. Everything, (laughs) right? Yeah, or when I get on the front page of this website or when I get, oh, when Pitchfork starts reviewing my stuff, that's going to mean, you know, like, but, you know, you just learn over the course of actually working at this. It is, I mean, at least in my case, it's just no such thing as that. No, right, but necessary. I'm
0: glad you brought that up yeah. because I run a record label right. that's been around 25 years, right. and we still get demos every day from people who are sitting in their house doing nothing. <laughs> they send me an email and they're like, "Listen to my stuff," and I write them back and I'm like, "So and what? <laughs> like, I, what if I like it? Right, then you gonna? What? Does that gonna mean you're gonna leave your house and do something? Ooh. I mean, I, I'm usually not that. But that's
2: awesome, no? But that, that's like that is the thing. Like that is the. The, the, the part of the phrase that people are missing, the part of the sentence that people are missing, like, no, you have to, there's no this straight to that." And, and it gets at like my path, I think, the benefit of it was it demystified it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it
2: demystified it. I went from seeing like people who came into my world via me seeing their music videos, like now I'm learning from them and seeing exactly like where they make money. You know, what phone calls they have to make, like what they have to set up, what they have to follow through, uh, and every part of it, like every tax task, task that goes into making a professional rapper a job. Right, you know? right. And so I saw it all.
0: Yeah. So at what point on your trajectory did you get to the point where you had enough business where you were like, okay, I need some help?
2: Damn. Well, I always knew I needed help because everybody who I, I always knew was actually doing it I had a great manager you know oh, and even if it, even if this manager wasn't the greatest person or even the greatest manager it was the greatest fit for them you right because I had people try oh I'll manage you and they didn't know what they were doing so I'm teaching them how to do it you know and it's like it doesn't work yeah. but I had needed that my entire career mm-hmm. I needed that from day one but it took a long time for me to actually get it and it was just kind of almost by happenstance that wow. I ended up in a good situation Cool. Yeah.
0: So I heard you say on one of the episodes of your podcast, Secret Skin, Mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you. Season two coming soon. It better be.
2: Yes. I promise.
0: (laughs) That you feel like you are successful. Yeah. That was in response to a listener question. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to say that at this stage you feel like you're kind of, your efforts are sort of just to get the word further out so that more people know about you, sort of like spread spread the knowledge Yeah, yeah. but that I, I thought that was really interesting that you used the word successful and I wondered if you could describe what you meant by that
2: well I don't remember that particular question
0: <laughs> I'm sorry to put you, you once and then this time you said
2: <laughs> but I consider myself successful because this like this isn't my job mm-hmm. this isn't my job like it's funny I have so many weird mo- like weird like little awful moments like too much luggage standing in a line to check into like a not that great hotel and there's like one person working and they're going slow and you just got all this stuff and I'm just you know what I mean I'm like what am I what am I doing I'm like no this is the only job I want to do and this is just the bad part of it you know what I mean like this is like these little crappy terrible things that happen all the time Mm -hmm. but that's the price I pay for having the only job that I really want to do you know what I mean? Like yes. I, the only thing I ever really want to put as much effort as you put into something that's your own is like making music and putting it out there. And like just, just putting my ideas and thoughts and just any kind of way I can be creative and have that serve me making a living. Yeah. Then like any 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 part about that is awesome to me. And and that's why, yeah, I, I have to identify as successful. Yeah. Because you know? I have a pathway where my efforts in where, I, you know, where I focus my creativity is paying the bills, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. There's a comedian originally from Portland named Nathan Brannon, Okay. And he's done a New Negroes, Baron Vaughn, bon and your show a couple times. He's a cool guy. And he once was telling me that he originally wanted to be a rapper, but he decided he didn't have any talent, <laughs> so he became a stand-up comedian instead. That's so funny. <laughs> But I wanted to tell you that because I, I know that you're sort of, you're like comedy adjacent. Yeah. You're not a officially co- to put a it. comedian. Yes, but... I hate
2: when people call me comedy.
0: Like... <laughs> you're sort of comedy adjacent. Yeah, and absolutely.
2: So, I live in that world.
0: Yeah, you live in that world. You know those people. Mm-hmm. And I was talking on one of my podcasts last year about, is comedy the new punk rock? And I think the argument for it is probably after we had the whole debate, Hari Kondabolu was like, no, it's not the new punk rock because punk rock is the new punk rock. But I think what is has sort of the upshot was, was yeah. that comedy is kind of like, it's also very punk. Mm-hmm. Sort of fits with that punk ethos in that you can say what you want and you can do it yourself. Yeah. You're not in a situation where other people are put saying you have to be this, you have to do that. You have to, you get up anywhere, front of any microphone and you just sort of speak your truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting, I wondered what you thought about that.
2: Well, one. I think that the same, I think, I think there's a punk rock way of approaching comedy. And I feel like that avenue, that aspect of comedy has always been there. Like you go back to Lenny Bruce, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like him being on his, taking his platform and using it to, you know, challenge people, mm-hmm. I think is a very punk rock thing to do. And I feel like that's always been a part of comedy. So I wouldn't see how that would be more now than any other time.
0: Right except maybe I, my argument for it was that there's so much more access to that type of comedy now because comedians are everywhere there's a million podcasts they're doing writing they're they're on TV you know they're appearing in more places right. like i feel like it's more accessible now
2: I I agree and i and i feel like what comedy like the way i see comedy if it's in the sense that i think we're talking i see it as like comedy is people who are on the forefront of like thought challenging just in mm-hmm. general like they're on the forefront of like pushing society like via thoughts mm-hmm. you know and it's like the people who are most consistent in that seem to have like the best careers especially if they apply the what we know is good about the craft to that you know like they have some solid philosophy and some new ways of thinking i mean you're right like you have access to that now more than ever and i feel like there's a wellspring of like of intelligent smart challenging comedy I feel like that's the engine of comedy, like, it's kind of built on that, too. And at this point, you know, before Lenny Bruce, there wasn't a Lenny Bruce. But after Lenny Bruce, there were 100 Lenny Bruces. Right. You know, and it's like the same thing all through comedy history. Lenny Bruce, Sam Kennison, you know, Richard Pryor, like, these trees. Like, something happens, and then people all are watching it on television, and they, that becomes part of their value system, too. So I think just, you know, just the time that comedy has been around, it's, it's just been its natural soil for that sort of uh, mm-hmm. value sharing, you know? And I feel like, yeah, now we're at a place where there are a ton of thinkers that have come off of this tree, George Carlin, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and all of them have inspired other people who want to be challenging like that, you know? Right.
0: Do you feel like there is that connection though between sort of hip hop, DIY, sort of underground, different hip hop with comedy in that way that it is challenging? It is the ability to speak your mind in a specific format?
2: Yeah, I feel like hip-hop in general and comedy share a lot just based on that, just based on the, the one person holding a microphone thing. Like like the the attitude of, everybody shut up. I have something to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. For like, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes to an hour. No, no, no you, just me. Yeah. You know, like I think that sort of uh, approach to entertainment and personhood is something that comedy and hip hop share. I think, you know, you have to think your thoughts are really important True. to do that. You, know? right. you have to think your thoughts are really important. And, and, you know, there's a certain personality type that attracts that or back and forth. Yeah. Because of that, how it's supposed to work, I think, is, is shared as well. But there's just so many different ways to do all of it, you know, mm-hmm. so many different ways to do hip hop, so many different ways to do comedy, you know.
0: Yeah, that's true. So how did you get hooked up with your label, Mellow Music
2: Group? Oh, the easy answer is the internet. But uh-huh. they first came on my radar through Odyssey back in the day when they put this stuff out. And then I have a, a buddy, Hoslow. they put out a record by him called In Case I Don't Make It, which is like amazing, modern, sad man rap record. Oh, I wow. love it so much. And uh. Them putting that out, me knowing him, like it really put them on my radar. And then I think me and him worked together on a track, so I got to know the management of the label that way. And we all started kind of working together from there.
1: Right. Because
0: yeah. I read an interview with a guy who runs Mellow, and he said something interesting, which was that his artists live lives. They don't live studio lives. They, you know, He said basically what happens in for sort of mainstream hip hop is you make a record, it's huge, and then you go into the studio for the next record and that's where you do everything. Like, mm-hmm. you just live in this sort of, like, studio life where, you know, it's, it's not, you're out of touch with where you came from, right, right, you right, know. Right. Oh, and that was his, his argument, was that his artists are still out there living life. That's They're not just sitting in a studio. I know, I thought that was a really interesting quote, uh, too.
2: I don't know enough about other people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm friends with a lot of, posts on the label, but I don't have enough of an insight into their lives. Right. Think, you know? But do you
0: think it's true for you? I mean, I think it's true for you. You're living life. You're out on the road. You're yeah. working.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. You're not holed up in some studio spending $50,000 a day. Maybe
2: I should be, though. You <laughs> <laughs> like Sony, that's, are you paying attention? Like, they we don't cross? have to be 50000 Like, You know, we don't have to. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> often, I often look at what's happening now in mainstream rap music, and I'm like, For as much as I might not be down with all of the content and images that are presented, the quality of the music itself is pretty high. Mm -hmm. Like, these are people who are dedicated to both rapping well in a lot of cases and, and that's never been so in the past in, in mainstream no, hip hop oh like my God. you used to be able to be a terrible rapper and be on
0: top can we say that you know what I mean? <laughs> can like, we you, say some names out loud I yeah. mean
2: MC Hammer he wasn't good <laughs> you know what I mean like you know and he 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 would be aggressive but he just was not like a good rapper in in like the craft of rapping right. you know what i mean Absolutely. and like now you can't you can't do that now if you sound bad like you will not get there Right. you know what i mean yeah. So that's already, they've dedicated themselves to rapping well, and they've dedicated themselves to being productive. Mm-hmm. Like, they spend, you can tell they spend every night in the studio. You hear these guys come out with, like, mixtapes on the way to making albums. You're like, this is already, <laughs> you know what I mean? Really
0: good.
5: They're
2: making that much material. Wow. You know, they're dedicated. And so, yeah, I'm living a life, but, you know, I could, I could be in a studio more. <laughs> You know, it could definitely be. We're not
0: complaining. You're not going to shake your head at 50 grand a day. I mean, neither am I. Ten. Okay, ten. All right, we'll compromise. Sony, we're compromising. I have one more question for you, which is, tell us a little bit about your life. And I know your life is not typical. I'm not asking for a typical answer. Mm -hmm. And I know you do a lot of different stuff. But for people who are interested in, so what does a person who's a genuine career musician Yeah. What do they do? Like, what's their, like, a year trajectory like? Like, what do you do over the course of a year?
2: Over a year. Over the course of a year, I make a record typically, Mm -hmm. or I'm working on making a record. So, if it's a year, year and a half, like, that's always part of what I'm doing. I am doing a couple of tours, uh, increasingly more festival shows. So, I'm out, you know, a lot of weekends and putting together a couple of tours. And where I used to do that on my own, I now have, you know, a management booking agent in place. So we all put our heads together on the best times to do those things or field offers from other people who might want me to open. I'm also like being in the different worlds I'm in, like I get opportunities to like be creative different ways. So like I'm putting my energy towards a couple of like TV projects right now, too. So like when I'm at home, I'm splitting my time between actively working on music and actively, like, nurturing those ideas and pursuing them business-wise, too. Um, do some voiceover work.
4: Oh, cool.
2: Um Just, you know, definitely trying to take advantage of all the, the access my world has into, like, entertainment money, which seems to be flowing all the time. It does, Yeah, right? like, to be yeah. around TV and film, be around that world and just see, like, how big that economy is on a yeah. scale. It's like, oh, yeah, I can...
0: Well, I liked your interview with Hannibal when he was talking about how he had to take a private jet that one
2: time. It's <laughs>
0: like, oh, man, poor
2: thing. But I love that he talked about how sad it
0: was. It was so sad.
2: Oh, right? I love like, that. Like, that amazing. That's what I, I do my podcast for those moments. <laughs> yeah. When you hear about Hannibal's sad boy flight, <laughs> sad boy private sad plane boy flight. Sad boy private jet. It's yeah. hilarious.
0: Well, Open Mike Eagle is delighted to talk to you. Yeah, Thank it was you great. So I, much. Like
2: I could have talked to you for another hour.
0: Yes. Yeah, That's
2: man. What we're trying should, for. We should do that sometimes. Please. Yeah. Please,
0: let's do it. Absolutely.
4: All right. Ryan on the floor of a Chinese restaurant crowned on my hip like Simon Petrikoff. Thought of a song called, thinking of master plans Reagan and rocking, drinking in Amsterdam Cafe, back room, meeting with Cancer Man Engineering project, black astronaut The first scene in the film, Prometheus I wrote a brand new story that starts from there Just need some help with the financing I ain't got nobody to pitch it to Friends are superheroes. None of us have very much money though. They can fly, run fast, read Portuguese. None of us have very much money though. They know judo and yoga, photography, politics. Some of them leap over buildings, writers, magicians, comedians, astronauts. None of it mattered when niggas was hungry. My friends are superheroes. None of us have very much money though. They were the same underwear. That
0: was Very Much Money by Open Mike Eagle. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Ellen Kempner of PaleHound. People are really excited about you. Good to you're know. on the rise, <laughs> is all- which is rad. Cool. It's very Sounds cool. good. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about how you started out. Like, what sort of got you into this crazy music thing in the first place?
5: Just music in
0: general? Or yeah, just, just music, music in, general? in
5: general. I don't know. My I kind of grew up, my dad played when I was growing up. I just kind of grew up with him playing. And he wrote songs. He was a drummer back in college days in a band called Ear Food, uh, which I I still think is hilarious It is the best band name I've ever heard. Do you tease him about that all the time? I tease him about it, but just because I'm jealous (laughs) that (laughs) I didn't think of it. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of thought that it was the right thing to do. I I kind of really got into Avril Lavigne when I was like in third grade, and that's when I started taking this really seriously. Wow. Because I was like, she's on stage like wearing camo pants and like singing about stuff that I feel all the time and... That's really awesome. And that's kind of when I started writing songs pretty seriously.
0: Is that when you picked up the guitar too?
5: No, I picked up the guitar when I was seven, but I kind of just, you know, I was still kind of dabbling in basketball and sports and trying to find my way. But then by by 10, I started writing songs and realizing that it was I was much better at it than any sports.
0: That's awesome. So, yeah. So when did you get into your first band? How old were you?
5: Oh, not for a while. I kind of grew up in a dead zone for music. My town really didn't have many people playing Um, you know, they had like the band orchestra stuff, but it didn't, I, it took me until I was a junior in high school to find a drummer and I was looking at, well, I was looking before that. So that was my first band. It was just me and a drummer. We went by cheerleader, Uh wrote wrote angsty songs about, you know, heartbreak and high school and (laughs) I don't know, just played to like, like on a good night, we'd be playing to like eight people we didn't know at Uh a teen center. You know, that's like all we did was play teen centers until I went to college. Wow. Yeah. So then you went to college, yeah. and then did your world explode, like, oh my god, all these people I can play with? It kind of did, yeah. It kind of exploded a little bit, just because I wasn't, you know, I was closer to the city and um, New York City, and I just kind of had met some people in bands, and I was really fortunate to have, by then, kind of hooked up with Exploding in Sound, who released my EP and my label, just kind of like a small DIY label in New York, and, and it just kind of opened up this community for me to feel comfortable playing music in, and I kind of... It was kind of a dream come true. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was kind of, like, from a town where we're the only band within, like, a 50-mile radius. And then going to New York and having shows in Brooklyn, which was, like, scary and, wow. you know, crazy. So,
0: yeah. How of, early on did you start playing out?
5: Like, outside of teen centers? Yeah. When I was, like, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty late. 18 or 19. And you'd already put a band together by the time you played, or did you play Yeah, I put solo a band together all? then. I was playing solo and kind of had a band sometimes, and... kind of sussing it out but mainly i was too scared to play solo at that point so
0: (laughs) so then you decided okay i'm ready to record a record Mm -hmm. so at what stage did you decide like okay i'm ready to go
5: well honestly after the ep i mean the ep was just like received so much better than i could have possibly imagined ever and i was like oh people actually like would like to hear music that i write and i was not that that was going to like influence whether or not i recorded but that's kind of when i was like oh i should really sit down and write a collection of songs with the intent of it being a record right. as opposed to just kind of writing a song here and then and smushing it together. Right. So that's kind of when once I started like doing tours and playing shows and having people respond to the songs that
0: that's kind of when I started writing more. And that all did that
5: all happen sort of organically
0: at the same time after the EP? Um,
5: yeah like after the EP I started writing a lot more but then we like, went on a tour, and that was, like, changed my life. I'd, like, never seen anywhere we'd been before. Oh, wow. And that kind of just threw some in perspective, and I was like, I want to do this. So I am going to record an album, like, definitely to make sure that I can keep on doing stuff like this.
0: Did you have to book your own tour, or did somebody help you? I booked you? my own tour. Okay, great. Yeah, I booked it myself. Do you have a booking agent now? I do now. I did what At what point did a booking agent jump on board? After the record.
5: Like, after, after the, the, the record came the record. out. I think the first tour that they booked for me was... In December, of like like the most pre- the most
0: recent yeah. December. That Who's your had. agent?
5: A Windish Ryan Farlow oh, at Windish. Latin, yeah, no,
0: cool. Yeah, he's the best. And did he come through the label, or did he, or did you guys approach him? Like, do you remember how that? I, don't, I He just, I don't honestly kind of remember. I I don't really
5: remember. I think he just kind of he didn't come through the label. The label's really small and very like DIY. So it kind of came from. I think they just reached out. Also, Ethan Berlin. Is also an agent. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to put his name in there.
0: <laughs> now, did you stay in college or did no, you? No, I leave dropped college.
5: Out. I dropped out because I was just really disengaged, and there was kind of like the college itself was kind of a toxic environment for me. There was like a lot of sexual assault my last year there, and oh Jesus! It just created this really toxic and kind of dangerous feeling environment where I didn't feel like I wanted to leave my room at all. Oh and, um, yeah, that's like I was touring well. anyway and going to the city all the time, so I was like. Might as well, like, save so much money by not going to school anymore and not, like, bury myself in that. So Right. Yeah. Were your parents, like, 100% supportive? Yeah, or? they. Re- I'm so lucky. My parents are really supportive. That's great. I love it. I mean, my dad, you know, played in band, so he sees yeah. me going on tour, and he's like, oh, wow. It's really That's cute. So it's nice. great. Yeah.
0: That's great. So, Dad, did
5: you have to get a day job when yep. you left? Yeah, I did At- have to get a day job. My first day job, I was cooking, actually. <laughs> and I had never, I, like, could barely make a grilled cheese before it. <laughs> and I kind of, like... Started working as, like, a dishwasher at this vegan restaurant actually in Boston. And then it was such a small restaurant that was, like, organized by a bunch of punks that at one point they were like, you're going to just start cooking now. And I was like, okay. And then I learned how to cook, which is one of my favorite things to do besides, you know, play music now. Wow. I love cooking. And now um, that restaurant actually closed, and now I work at a bookstore warehouse. Cool. So I work boxing up the classics. Right. And displaying them at the store and stuff. Nice. And they're yeah. flexible with your tour schedule? Oh, so flexible. My boss is like a, an old punk, an old punk dad. Aww. He's great. He only hires pe- like musicians, yeah. really, like local musicians. He's the best. Now, what about management? Have you found a manager? I found a great manager. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah she's the best. Her name is Vicky, and she works at my PR firm, actually. Girlie uh, is- Action? Girlie Action. Uh, huh. Ah, yeah. Vicky and I know her well. Vicky, yeah, yeah. I love her. Great. So she just kind of took me under her wing. And I call her, like, my gay mom. <laughs> Your gay yeah, mom? Yeah, because that's, like, I don't know. I definitely, when I've, I, I've had, like, really bad experiences with managers being really creepy to me in the past. I had a male manager that was inappropriate on a couple of different levels with me. Thanks. So I was, like, nope, this time, like, no men, no offense. So anyway. But no <laughs> man. I'm, like, going with, like, a woman and hopefully a gay one because I am, too, and I want, I wanted someone that could help me make decisions just Based on that as well, you know, just as a queer artist, right? have someone who understood what I was going for, you know. Did you get hooked up with Girly Action through Exploding and Sound? No, uh, Sarah Averin from there just kind (laughs) of, I tell her, like, I joke with her all the time that she just, like, stalked me, like, relentlessly for, like, a year. (laughs) And, like, Uh uh, until I could, like, I was in a position where I could, like, afford to hire someone and had something Or PR for. Yeah. So, but
0: yeah, they're, I mean, they're the best. I I love girly acting Yeah, they're great. We love them. We've used them for 25 years. Yeah. Long time. So yeah, I mean, it's, you're in a unique position because that's not how it happens for every band. And yet there's still some obvious overlap. Like you still have a day job. You're still, you know, figuring (laughs) out the next steps and everything. We always talk about like the reason I started this radio show is because I'm so tired of the crappy PR job that we have in the industry about people... He you was know, like, "Oh, well, it's okay if we steal artists' music because the labels are just stealing their artists' music anyway." And I'm like, "Wait a second! I know literally hundreds of people whose job it is to like help artists become career artists. Like, that's all we do. That's what people like Girly Action do. That's what yeah. people at Windish do. Like, that's what we do. So it's really frustrating to have that be like the constant message. So oh, that's much. why I wanted to put this out in the world. Like, cool. You know, like, Thank no, you. that's yeah. not how we're all wired." And so I, I, you know, it's there's somewhat of an educational component for younger bands starting out. Do you have any advice? I mean, I know you're at this level, you're not, you know, yet yeah. like 20 years into your career. Yeah. But like for, the, at this level, do you have any advice for people?
5: Yeah. I am like one of the most, I mean, I and many people I know are like incredibly anxious. Like it's hard for me to even like put together complete like grammatically correct sentences (laughs) because I'm just like great itching all over uh, most of the time and that really hindered me for a while was just like I would say yes to things like every show I would say yes to because every show is a show and you know any show is a good show but I would like really hold myself back just because I was so anxious and I just wish I'd known earlier just to like push a little further through that just to break out because now I feel so much better and Yeah, I guess just like pushing your comfort level Mm. is my biggest advice to artists. Because it's scary but it's like really rewarding and I don't know. It's just it's worth it. (laughs) Not to just like be so in your head all the time.
0: It's super good advice. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this crazy Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this
1: is great. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Was Molly by Palehound. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoler wanted a face towel with his face on it, Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to the future of what. We're talking to Tao Win.
1: This is so nice I'm so glad to be talking to you it's so good to see you I know know. we all sorry we almost hit you with the van no it's totally
0: fine that's what we're here for get run (laughs) over by friends that we haven't seen in a long time so just to make this brief and quick my radio show is about the music business and I would love for you to take this opportunity to recount how you got into the music business because you have kind of an amazing and unique story
1: yeah, totally. It, which is, I'm I'm happy to recount it because I the further a, I away I get from it, the more I realize how incredibly lucky everything was, and yeah, how was random amazing. and weird. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The story is, I was a very big fan of Laura Beers. Portland's own, Portland's finest, Laura yeah. Beers. and and I just cold emailed her website, and this was this was right around there was MySpace, but but not really you know and uh there were websites where you just emailed and and i emailed her sort of info at laura viewers or something sending a link to this record that i had made in virginia that i just made asking to open for her and then fortunately enough her manager at the time was slim moon you, a guy the, you know, this guy, yeah, that, this guy, yes, this guy you know, the uh, the legendary Slim Moon who had started Kill Rock Stars, so he was managing Laura Viers and then uh, he he said we don't have any opening spots for you right now, but but he did listen to the record and and he said but I'll keep you in mind, and then I think I'm remembering this correctly, right? And then a, and a month later he emailed again asking if I would contribute a song to The Sound the Hair Heard, right. which was a killer rock Rockstars compilation at that time. It was for songwriters. And Laura Viers was on it, and Colin Malloy and Stephen and Stevens. And I didn't know anything about anything. I grew up in <laughs> my mom's basement. You know, I was just in Virginia. I, I had no idea about the Riot Girl scene or about Pacific Northwest and, and all of the history and incredible contributions that that scene made to music so i just said yes and then we rec- i wrote a song and then we recorded it and then toured with that touring compilation and then and then you guys became my management mm-hmm. and then I, and then i signed with kill rock stars and you yeah and then it just right what are the odds you know, and then yeah. here we are on pickup trucks but you
0: were a self-taught guitar player that's right and I always thought that was really interesting for someone who wasn't that versed in like, the music world, that mm-hmm. you were still like, well, I'm really interested in this instrument that's actually really hard and a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. and yes. there's nobody encouraging me that I must do this, that this is something really worthwhile, and yet you just did it anyway.
1: I, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> thanks, I like how you, it sounds when you say it. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to be a songwriter, and I needed vehicles to do that, and and so when I, and I was really interested in guitar playing, in, in guitar picking, because I did, you know, n- no matter that I was in sort of the suburbs in Northern Virginia, Bluegrass and Appalachian and Old Time were still finding their ways to me, because I, I was still in Virginia, and when I, you know, I went to college, and there were a lot of people playing that music, and I got really into country blues and old time, just for the playing style. And so it became a a real interest of mine. But it helped that I I had no background in music. I didn't play music with anyone, which and now having been in a band for a long time and leading a band, it's, it's, it's such a different experience, the way everyone else grew up with music versus how I grew up with it, which is just as a way to write songs.
0: Yeah, I find that so fascinating. I mean, once you hear a hundred stories, you're like, This is a very unique yeah. way for this to happen, you know.
1: It's I can't believe that it happened and that it's still <laughs> happening, you know, because it was it happened gradually enough that you couldn't really tell if things were gonna keep going or not. Right. But then it happened steadily enough where you were you were just like, Well, I guess I'll just keep going on tour and I'll keep making records and keep writing
0: and that was very that was a very cool thing about you that you were willing to go on tour because I think that when we first met you you had really not done that and it it wasn't part of your where this is where I think I'm gonna be or who I think I am it was more like oh, you want me to do what? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what an interesting thing. And now to think of how much, I mean, how much of your life do you spend on the road
1: these oh, days? Oh, God. These days, thankfully, less because, you know, at a certain point. I mean, when I met you guys, when we, when we started together, I was 22, 21, 21, or 22 when I signed with you guys. And then as soon as I graduated school, I was 22. And we went on tour that next week after my graduation. Huh? And so, like, my entire 20s were on the road, and thankfully now, I would say maybe half, half the year, which is more manageable.
0: Right. Yeah. And probably when you have, now you're into the album cycle. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, writing, recording, then the album comes out, press, promotion, tour. Right. It sort of, it, it, it settles itself into a routine mm-hmm. that is recognizable. But at the beginning, it's really tough because, like you said, you don't know if like am I doing this for any reason? Like is there gonna be anything next? Yeah.
1: You know, yeah, or am I yeah. just
0: gonna go back home and live in my mom's basement totally. And, and I just it.
1: knew that you know, my brother had told me you can do he they were not pleased with the fact that I was just putting all my eggs into this incredibly precarious basket and he was like, If if in five years, which was a generous amount of That's time, right? A generous I think. amount of time. It's like if in five years this is not anything you're going to grad school he's like <laughs> you're never borrowing money from me or mom you're not sleeping on my couch or mom's couch you know like Hello. get your shit together and it worked and uh, yeah there was often i mean i remember that first tour we were on the side of the road in des moines cooking adam was frying an egg on this camp kit cooking like a kerosene thing and i called slim and because it was a it was a rough time and, the, you know, the spirits were low. Morale was really low, and, and I was just like, "So, what? This sucks, man. Like, <laughs> we're Adam's making eggs on the sidewalk, and oh and I like I think the night before we had just slept in someone's kitchen <laughs> on the kitchen floor. That's all. And he yeah. and someone was like, "I know," and he's like, "But I promise you, it will never be worse than this." And he oh. was totally right. <laughs> Right about He's, everything. It was so right, and it was just <laughs> enough. It was so realistic. There was no snake oil involved. It was just like, yeah, this sucks, but I promise it won't suck any more than this. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, and then, yeah, everything, nothing has, everything's just been, you know, it's been good. It's been really lucky.
0: Yeah, but you guys have also, you know, yes, it's been lucky. I always say, Slim and I both always say there's, it's like, I don't know what the exact equation is, but it's like 30% talent, 50% hard work, and 20% luck is kind of the equation of this. Mm -hmm. But the thing about you guys is you are actually willing to put in the hard work. And that's where I think a lot of bands, they don't understand that. They think if they sign to a label or they have a manager that they can kind of relax and somebody else is going to make their career happen. Right. And it's like, that is not how this works mm-hmm. at all. As you found out, it's like, you're the one frying eggs on the side of the road. Yeah, totally. Flip the home.
1: that's right. Yeah, <laughs> No one's frying eggs for us on the side of the road. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And it was, it was something that we learned very quickly, but I am so grateful for that kind of education because it, yeah, it's all, it's been legwork, but it, at, at the same, at the same time, there was no, you know, there's no other option but you've already gotten to this point where you're able to in one way or another share your music and you're able to get the funds together to put a tour together and you have a booking agent you have all the things in place that you need there there are certain mechanisms that you that make the engine run more smoothly and we had those things you know right and I've always thought, you know, I'm, I can do it as long as someone tells me when to show up and helps me get there. Like, I don't, the logistics are not my strength, you know, but we, if we have the tour manager and we have the booking agent and everyone taking care of the things, we can, I'll, I'll go do the show. Right. You know?
0: You'll turn up and play. I'll
1: turn up and play. <laughs> if someone helps me get there, I'll be there. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't want to keep you all day, so let me just ask you one more question, which is yeah. for any young artists listening to this. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for for sticking it out and and making it happen?
1: My advice is I would say if you want to stick it out, you will. There's no there's no real advice necessary in that realm, you know. I I think that if you're going to do it, you will do it and and to just trust your instincts and I think people really appreciate sincerity and authenticity, and if you have that, then. And, oh, uh, no, I have a couple other things. This is, I'll just say things that when I, you know, over the years, there are plenty of times I've wanted to quit and been so tired and uh, sort of lost faith and lost hope. But I think to stay really grateful is really important and to remember how fortunate it is to be in a position to pursue music for a living, and then once you get there, to continue to respect it and treat it as your job, and don't don't around and and buy into the lifestyle. It's so easy to think that you don't have to work hard and you just play the show. And but how many people do we know who have just sort of gotten spoiled by whatever spoils there are? and that it is work yeah and you can't you got to be on time you, you, have, you have to be professional
0: perfect because yep. i think that's exactly you know i say that to young bands all the time it's like this looks really sexy from a distance but it's mm-hmm. a job yeah and if you don't like this job you are not going to be happy totally. and you're not going to keep doing it yeah you know yeah yeah
1: and if you can't get up early and do radio mm-hmm. you know and if you can't be okay. after a late night yeah. of playing yeah yeah for sure awesome
0: Well, thank you so much. Of
1: course. So good to see you. Yeah. Bye. Ciao.
4: Bye, y'all.
0: was When We Swam by Tao with the Get Down, Stay Down. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to La Luce. So this podcast and radio show that I do is a music business podcast. So basically, I wanted to ask you guys some questions about the business side of being a band. You got together in 2012. Is that right? This band? Yeah. Started in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And you have had an interesting career. I mean, you guys have had some some ups and downs in your career. You, I know you had an old bass player, and now you have a new bass player. And that's I thought that was a particularly interesting thing because a lot of bands hit a roadblock like that, where someone finds out that this is not the job that they want, and they give up. They all say, "Well, we we're not going to do it," you know. But you guys were clearly committed. And you were like. Let's do it anyway.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And was that kind of your thought? Like, let's do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just keep going.
6: Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of astonishing that there are four of us who feel like we want to do it. It's like, I feel like it's, that's always a challenge with bands is who wants to put in the time, you know, cause it's, especially if you're going to go on tour a lot, it's just such a commitment Yeah. and leaving your friends behind, you know, and leaving the people you love behind for long periods of time is like, Definitely not for everyone. Right. So, somehow that ends up being like the
3: hardest part of finding the right fit in a band is not necessarily the parts you would think that are like musical or, but it's just mainly like who is able to withstand this lifestyle and and also who is easy enough to get along with, to, to live with because we are married to each other.
0: That's yes, right, being in a band is like being, people don't understand that. It's like, no, you're like dating or married to, you know, X number of other people. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, we
3: own property, we have a business together, we own a band together. Like oh we, God. it's, we're definitely right. married.
6: Yeah. I live with I, her. I, yeah. I dated someone that said like, I understand I'm second to like your, it's your the band, right? right? Yeah. That's what it
3: feels like. Yeah. Oh yeah, God, so you have to find that's everyone that's badass. kind of into that sort of sacrifice.
0: Now when you guys got together, did you, or before this band, did you, did you know that these were the kind of sacrifices that were going to be asked of a band or did you start out with that sort of sunny disposition that most people do? Like, I love to play and I'm just going to play with Mm -hmm. my friends. It's really fun.
6: I definitely knew, and I feel like like me and Marianne had toured together before, so I think we both kind of knew what we were in for. And we had also like our last band that toured was less successful, which makes everything exponentially more difficult. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, true. so like once we started touring with this band, we were like, oh no problem, yeah. you know, like uh, almost like right off the bat, it was like, all right, cool, like this is no problem compared yeah. to what we were doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so true. but I don't know, you guys didn't tour really before. I know. I did I've a played, little bit. Oh, go ahead.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like when you first, like, a first good tour is probably not, you don't come by that a lot. So if you can withstand the first few and make it and still want to do it, then right. you'll probably be okay. And you, you you learn pretty quickly what you're
3: in for.
6: Right. Yeah. And it gets better. It gets better. So Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. If you're
3: because lucky. So far it's gotten better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, just have, pure luck.
0: Yeah, have you guys found that it, the more you do and the more things go and the more team you build and the more people who get on board, there's actually more work, not less? you guys found that
1: <laughs> to some
3: extent? i think it's a mix of both i I feel like in yeah i feel like i've never felt like the work has let up i think we're always busy whenever we're done with tour it doesn't feel like anything's over there's always so much to do so much to think ahead for because we always talk about how we live like six months to a year in the future like i'm not here with you now i'm already like in the (laughs) spring of next year yeah (laughs) and so um so that part is really interesting because you're always like working on something that's far ahead of you. Mm-hmm. But in other ways things do get e- easier, like just like the more we've been a band, the more we've gotten paid for shows, it makes certain things in our personal life a little bit easier, you know? So it's a little bit of both.
0: Do you guys still have day jobs?
3: No. No. I think so. When but were this is our to. day job. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> so yeah. This, yeah. It really it feels is, like no it time. though. It I is, mean, you're always working on like
6: band stuff when we're home, yeah. like always. And so it's, are you. I mean, yeah. it's running, we're running a small business really, yeah. So, and trying to be creative at the same time. So, mm-hmm.
0: Do you have management or do you guys do it yourselves?
6: We manage ourselves. Yeah, that's yeah, we do. A yeah.
0: lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Have you ever felt like maybe we should just break down and get a manager?
6: We've, <laughs> We've tried. talked, We've about, talked it. about it, but there's have, other it still th- doesn't things, things I would want first. Like mm-hmm. I feel like before a manager, I would want like a sound engineer, a touring sound engineer. You know, <laughs> right? And, and that's cheaper and sort of more beneficial, I think, in some ways. Right. And so yeah, I mean that. I feel like that would be like. Several steps down the road a manager because they take a cut of everything Mm -hmm. And we pretty much have our (laughs) together usually So I feel like they like that makes a lot of sense for people who don't know what they're doing or what they're in for at all But I feel like we can more or less handle our ourselves (laughs) Yeah Yeah, Go ahead. Well more management comes in handy or beneficial is like at festivals like having will around or or to manage our Mm -hmm. tour yeah. Yeah,
3: interestingly like Things grew like at a pace that we could manage, and like literally manage. So like we have always kind of taken care of things and like delegated things. And we did speak with like management, like people that wanted to manage us. And we realized and they realized that they wouldn't help us. It. Like yeah. they wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah, and and they that. were kind of like, oh, we don't know what we could do for you, and we're like, we don't <laughs> really understand what management does anyway either. Can Even you please mail our shirts out for us? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> like the things we wanted them to do, they're like, they want to do the <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, okay. never mind then. We can't use you at all. <laughs>
0: So, um, since you guys do your own management, are you pretty up on stuff like sound exchange, like a couple of YouTube controversy, oh. do you guys, you, I'm oh. assuming you're signed up with exchange. I am. I hope I you am. guys are. The
4: band should Yeah. Well,
0: know,
6: should be. Yeah. well it's, it, it's actually individual. Oh, for uh, artists? The royalties are given so out that, individually. Okay. But,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's just
6: money waiting for your pocket. Yeah, All right, sounds good.
3: That's the kind of money I like.
6: <laughs> just a little just gold pot. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the music industry is so confusing, even to people who are deeply entrenched so into true. it. That like even people at Sub Pop, who work on like our publishing is through Sub Pop and. They're like, they explain aspects of publishing to us, but it's clear that even they don't really understand like 100%, huge yeah. portions of it. Yeah. So I'm just like, if you guys don't understand, I don't know if anyone does. Yeah. It's super complicated. Yeah. That's the problem. Why is it so
0: complicated? Do you so... want to know the answer? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because all the laws that have come into being have just been cobbled together over the years from just like ridiculous places. Yeah. And like certain constituencies would be powerful at one time. Mm-hmm. So like that's why the publishers are so strong because back in the day when the very beginning of radio, there was, there were no recorded music. It wasn't recorded music. It was just bands in radio stations playing oh, sheet music. Wow. So the publishers got their cut because it was the sheet music. Yeah. But then there was no actual slab of wax. Mm-hmm. Then when that came into being, it was too late. Right? Yeah. You know. So the master recording side is now completely unpaid for on
6: terrestrial radio. What do you? But the publishers get paid. Can you can you write a book on this? <laughs> 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 this podcast is all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all understand this crazy, yeah. it's, it's, so crazy. Nice. Well, this, it's probably changing so fast just with streaming services and yeah. yes. like YouTube of, and yeah. everything so cool. it almost seems like yeah nobody can really keep up or the laws haven't kept up with oh they have not kept up That's the all. cobbling yes, yeah that makes a lot Hens of sense
0: the cobbling right? yeah. <laughs> well I don't want to keep you guys anymore yeah. but thank you so much thank <laughs> you well, <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you and that's our show the music we played today was used by permission you heard Open Mike Eagle, Pale Hound, Tao with the Get Down, Stay Down, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.